va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ocil. Marca Mesut Ocil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too. Uh, what, what, a, what a strange weekend it's been as an Arsenal fan. It really has. It really has been strange, hasn't it? There's been this... I don't know how to describe it, you know, because we haven't gone through anything like this before. Unlike, and bear with me here, we'll get on to all this, our neighbours... In North London. Mm. If we talk about going through something before, I think it's worth pointing out that they have now set a record for the most consecutive semi-final defeats of all time, ever, in any football club, any sport, in fact, in the universe, eight consecutive semi-final defeats. Before we get on with everything that we've got to talk about, I think it would be remiss of us not to uh, not to bring that up and just to enjoy that little uh, stat for a moment or two. Absolutely. And this has come, of course, in a period in which Arsene Wenger uh, has become the competition's most successful manager. Yeah. So a lovely little comparison to be drawn there. Eight successive semi-finals. I can't believe it. I mean, you'd think surely on the law of averages alone, eventually they would manage to win one. But no, they always spurs it up that, right at the vital moment. That is exactly it. Their commitment to spursing things can outdo even the the most immutable law of the natural world, which is, of course, the law of averages. Something's got to go your way at least once every now and again. But no, the inherent spursness of spurs just cancels that out. Not even Neil deGrasse Tyson could come up with an explanation as to why this happens beyond spurs just being spurs. I enjoyed as well, I don't know if you saw, but Mauricio Pochettino several times in interviews after the game mentioned the possibility of, you know, maybe Spurs might have to make the step without me. It's almost as if he's now realised he's at risk of being infected with the curse of Spursiness if he stays there any longer. Um, so, look, I if this prompts the collapse of the Spurs project, that would be lovely. But for now, just losing the semi-final alone... Uh, is is fantastic. I mean, it's not a great final for an Arsenal fan. I will admit that. Chelsea versus Manchester United. I'm not particularly looking forward to seeing one of them lift the trophy, but I'll take it. Given given what we got in the semis, it's worthwhile. Yeah, no, look, I'm, I'll nail my colours to the Chelsea mast here because I just don't want Mourinho to be happy in any way. Chelsea doing over Mourinho. Imagine a, you know, a big late goal from Olivier Giroud scoring for oh. Chelsea. No, I don't want Chelsea. And I don't, don't get me wrong. I don't want Chelsea to win things as a rule. But if it's Chelsea or Manchester United, if it's Conte versus Mourinho, I'm always going to go with Chelsea on this one. I think you're probably right. I know, obviously, you're, like many of us, an admirer of Olivier Giroud, his footballing ability and his handsome face. Did you enjoy mm, his mm. his slalom goal at the, at the weekend? Did I, I did enjoy that. It was a really good goal. I, I particularly liked the way he finished the the goal with his right foot while he was tumbling yeah. over like, like a gigantic ent falling from the sky <laughs> he managed to stick a long branch out and and uh, put it into the uh, into the net yeah it was a good goal it was a good goal but it was there was just something very inherently Giroud about it wasn't there 
Yeah, but as you know, my brother's a Chelsea fan. He mm. texted me after the game. He said he's he's a very strange player, Olivier Giroud, isn't he? And I, and I had to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. We we got used to the, sort of those odd moments of absolute brilliance, coupled with some some really frustrating, mm. uh, you know, little appearances too. But I, I, he's a lovely guy. I mean, I saw him interviewed after with Eden Hazard, and he's he's very cheerful. He seems happy. I'm I'm pleased for him. Yeah. If this season's about anything, it's about letting the people you love go. You know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, there is an undercurrent or an overcurrent of that, certainly, when you uh, take Mm. into account this weekend. So just to uh, conclude, ha-ha, Spurs, and we'll move on uh, to to what happened at the Emirates this weekend. So Arsenal facing West Ham. There was, uh, after everything that's gone on since Friday and the announcement of Arsene Wenger's departure, I think a brighter mood, if not perhaps a a stadium as full as we might have uh, suspected, the mood yeah. seemed to be brighter, didn't it? And the weather was it as did. well. Well, I think that helped, to be honest. Uh, but there, there definitely was a better atmosphere in the ground. I have to say, I was really surprised that it wasn't full um, without wishing to put you know a downer on things. Yeah. There'd been a lot of talk in the days before about, you know, you, you won't be able to get a ticket for any of these home games. And to be fair, you couldn't. It was absolutely sold out. But there was still quite a lot of people who stayed away. I think that's pretty amazing really given you know how few games there are left to say say goodbye to us and I'm hoping you know the Atletico game and the Burnley game will be absolutely full to the packed to the rafters but it was a much better atmosphere than it's been uh the West Ham fans helped that they were in fine voice but I think the Arsenal fans too there was just a more positive feel and even in the first half to be honest when the, it wasn't great fair really it wasn't particularly easy on the eye yeah that frustration that has been present in so many home games of late wasn't really there. People were behind the team, and that was good to see. Yeah, I mean, what is the point in going mental at this point, you know? Well, exactly. <laughs> you know, there is there is no end game beyond the end game that we already know is is going to happen. So what did you make of the team? Because I really felt like beforehand he was going to pick... Perhaps a weaker team than this one with Atletico in mind, but he obviously picked a side that he wanted to get together to to try and work on combinations, I guess, to try and just get them properly mm. match sharp and, and focused on, on what's to come on Thursday. It was stronger than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, uh, I was a little bit surprised, but it was the it was the bones of the team that's going to face Atletico, really, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, Meza Ozil... Uh, absence with uh, an, another illness. But, you know, apart from that, I wonder, did he want to look at Welbeck and Lacazette in combination? I think also maybe looking at Ramsey in a slightly more advanced role was on his mind. Uh, and he's been in good form. And obviously we lost him during the game and that was the cost of playing a strong side. But I do mm-hmm. wonder if he was thinking about playing El Elneny against Atletico alongside Xhaka with Ramsey, maybe in the, the kind of Mkhitaryan role. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a shame. I suppose that was the the key moment of the first half for us was uh, was losing El Nenny. It looked fairly innocuous at first, and I thought he just got a kick. I was looking at the replays, and it showed him uh, taking a kick on his leg, and I was going, "Is it one of those weird ones?" Like, remember when Giroud got his uh, his leg broken at Everton by yeah. I think it was Ashley Williams just uh, hit a clearance into his leg, and he was out for three months. I was going, "Oh my god." This looks a bit serious. And then there's replays of him turning his ankle over uh, and it is completely turned over. It's at a 45 degree angle or a 90 degree angle. Um, it's it's an unpleasant picture. He went off on a stretcher in a protective boot. Initially, they said on Sky, 
night, Jeff Shreve said on Sky, oh, we've spoken to the Arsenal medical staff. It's just a rolled ankle. They're not necessarily that worried about it. They don't think it's too serious. But in the uh, the post-match interviews, Arsene Wenger seemed to be a bit more uh, pessimistic about it, saying it doesn't look good for Elneny. So uh, with the World Cup coming up as well, uh, we keep fingers crossed. It's a bit of a shame for him because he has been, I think, a, a positive uh, influence on the team over the last little while. And even yesterday, when West Ham were sitting very deep, when we had the ball and West Ham were sitting very deep, he was always there. He was the one mm-hmm. who was always showing to the center halves. He was always available for a pass. He gave them an out ball, which we haven't had. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed it's not as uh, serious as as it looks to be. Yeah, I, I, I hope he can improve. It'd be a real shame if he missed not just the remainder of the season, but also obviously for him, the World Cup. It'd be terrible if all those tweets came back to bite him, wouldn't it? I mean, that'd be really a shame. But I think he's been, I think he's been improved. I think he's been better. You know, sometimes yeah. we talk about players being in, in good form or bad form, but I think this is a guy who's actually improving. You know, he's relatively young and that's to be expected maybe. So it would be... A shame. He's been. We talked did last week, didn't we, about who's overachieved this season, who's yeah. performed beyond your expectations. He was, I think, one of two players maybe that we that we mentioned. So yeah, yeah be a shame to lose him now. West Ham probably had maybe the better of the first half in terms of uh, chances. You know, we, we we were opened up a couple of times, weren't we, by the old long ball thing? Mm. And I don't suppose it's uh, the two things aren't um, connected in any way that Arsene Wenger announces his departure and all of a sudden we immediately sort out all our defensive flaws. So yeah. uh, there was a, there were a few moments where they are. Arnautovic got the wrong side of Mustafi a couple of times. Mustafi did well a couple of times as well. Ospina made a save. Uh, they had a header land on the bar, but we, we didn't look quite like we were going to make a breakthrough at the other end either. Danny Welbeck looked the most dangerous but without necessarily transforming the those positions into actual threat, I think uh, his timing yeah. was off a couple of times. There was one where he took a shot and he should have he should have played it outside to Lacazette, uh, who would have had a, a, a I'm not saying a tap in, but a good side of goal, uh, and it didn't quite come off first half. No, it didn't. And when those defensive lapses came, uh, you know, Arnautovic got in behind a couple of times. I, this makes me sound very naive, but I found myself sort of almost waking from the dream and going, oh, yeah, no, we're, we're still quite bad at the old defending thing. <laughs> I'd sort of it'd been swept up in it all, you know, and suddenly thought, well, of course, we'll just play like the Invincibles from now until the end of the season. Uh, but it doesn't quite work like that. And we saw we saw a little bit of evidence of that against West Ham. I mean, it goes without saying, we will need to be a, a lot better than we were in that first half uh, later this week. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But the second half, I think we came out, there was an intensity to us straight away. Mm. In the second half, you could see that the players were a bit more up for it. We put pressure on them right from the start. And I think if you look at the build-up to the first goal, uh, we'd soaked up a bit of uh, pressure. We broke. Welbeck was going to be clean through. We we would have had a 2-on-1 had Zabaleta not taken him down. Free kick becomes a corner and from the corner. Nacho Monreal's movement and finish was really excellent. Yeah, because it's interesting... A lot of times this season, at the start of the second half, we've looked a bit sloppy, a bit careless, not quite focused. But this time we actually came out for the half about five minutes, not maybe not five minutes, but maybe four minutes early. And we were really energised right from the whistle. And I thought you could see in Monreal's celebration that there'd been a really clear determination to go out there, try and find a breakthrough early on. And I think he's got three Premier League goals in, in seven games now. So he mm. has found a sort of prolific streak this season. I think uh, he's managed to have a very good year despite being shunted around centre-half, 
left back. He's coped very, very well with it all and added a little bit of goal threat to his game. Yeah, I, th- I think there was a period then after the goal where we should have made more of our dominance and more of uh, yeah. our territory and some of the, the opportunities we had to create things which didn't quite come off. And then, of course, you get, you get not sucker punched per se, but uh, West Ham made some changes. It had an impact on the way they attacked. And Arnadovic scored, I think, a decent enough goal, decent finish, certainly. He really hit mm-hmm. it very well with his left foot. Uh, maybe Ospina, maybe. You know, he got a touch to it, but I think it was a a fairly wicked shot. So I think it was more about how we were pulled out of position defensively to give him that space. Yeah, when you look at where he is, he picks up the ball on that sort of left-hand side of the box. Uh, Bellerin and Mustafi have kind of crossed over. Bellerin's come very narrow and Mustafi hasn't sort of covered wide. It's it's a it's a bit clumsy defensively, but it's not on the scale of the kind of errors we've been making in recent weeks. I saw... Um, some people criticising Ospina for his punch just before the goal. Did you have any issue with that at all? Uh, not really, because it was a good punch. He got it far away. Um, yeah. Maybe he could have caught it, I guess. But, you know, when you're when you're coming out and you're punching it and you get that kind of distance on it, it gives the defence time to get organised before the ball comes back in. I think we, we certainly blocked at least one shot or at least one attempted cross before the mm. ball came to Arnautovic. So it wasn't a question that the ball just came back in and everybody was at sixes and sevens. I think we, we just didn't get organised quite quickly enough. We did have time to do that. So no, for me, not really. Um, I agree. I, you know, if you punch it 30 yards from your goal, I don't think you can be blamed for kind of everything that comes consequently. I mean, the one thing he, he probably wouldn't have known this, but I think the player who's challenging for the ball when he punches it is probably offside, but he can't take that risk. He's got to come and, and do something. And I think it's almost impossible to catch it there, really. So, uh, yeah, I've got no issue with that. And it was, like you say, a good finish. And it was it made me very sad. I'm sure it made you very sad as well, seeing Arnautovic all happy, however temporarily. Yeah, it was. I don't like to see him happy. I don't, I, you know, mm. he's one of those players we have some history with. The... Uh, the, the, the foul on Matthew Debushi from a couple of years ago still really rankles with me. I think that's, uh, that's one of the most snide, dangerous fouls you can commit as a footballer when a player is off his feet and you give him a push. You know, the the impact for Debushi was bad. He, he dislocated his shoulder. It could have been worse, you know. So, uh, you know, given his Stoke history and everything else, that was not a pleasant moment to see him equalise and to see him happy. But by the end of the game, I was very, very happy. I was almost willing to take that happiness, like allow right. him that little bit of happiness, knowing sure. that we were going to take it away from him bit by he, bit by bit until it was, <laughs> there's none left. There is no happiness. It was enjoyable. It was enjoyable watching his, <laughs> his cup of happiness drain from half full to half empty to completely empty. Uh, he, he tried a little push of someone else off the field. I, I forget who it was now. Obama it was over Yang. on our It was Obama Yang, right, near, side. That's right near the it, end. You know? Yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's um, part of what he does, I guess. Um, so, you know, ha-ha, fuck you as well. Double fuck you, I guess, for Arnautovic. But anyway, like we say, things uh, came good with a little a little goal flurry, really, in the, in the last few minutes for us. Yeah, I think we're, there was good fortune, wasn't there, with the, the second goal, the Aaron Ramsey goal. Mm. Um, I, I'm not quite sure what Declan Rice, who's a very promising young Irish defender, I'm not sure what he was thinking there. He'd been very good all game, actually. He'd had a good game, I thought, uh, at centre-half. He had. Yeah. Actually, in the build-up to the goal, a cross originally comes in for the right-hand side and he makes a really excellent defensive header for the ball to go to Ramsey. I think he's yeah. got 
someone, I think it's Aubameyang or Lacazette challenging him and it's a lovely little uh, sort of backwards header to clear the ball. David Moyes really went for him after the game in his press conference. He was, you know, very explicit about blaming Rice. And I thought it did make me think about our own manager and the degree to which he has protected and nurtured young players at times. Um, I thought, you know, obviously it's a mistake, but it's clearly just a moment of inexperience. As we've seen many times as Arsenal fans, you play young centre-halves, you're at risk of that happening. For sure, for sure. I mean, it is bread and butter stuff, though, and I, I can see Moyes' point, but I noticed in his post-match interview as well, he said, uh, he spoke about it and said, look, it's an experience, he'll learn from it, but, you know, it's a mistake. And hmm. whoever was interviewed, Jeff Shreves or somebody said to him, uh, is, he, is he distraught in the dressing room? And Moyes said, well, we're all distraught. <laughs> All to, you yeah. know, losing the points, sort of like to go, well, yeah, you know, we're distraught too. Don't take it away from us uh, because of what yeah. this kid has done. So, yeah, I, I take your point there about, um, you know, sometimes sometimes that'll work for a player. You know, sometimes if you are explicitly blamed, it's a way of learning. But I think there's a, a line perhaps that Moyes went a little too far across when it comes to uh, to blaming uh, that player. Maybe maybe he got a, a shout from his goalkeeper. Who knows? Um, but yeah, he, he should be dealing with that. But, I'm you know, in, in many ways, I'm glad he didn't because it was a goal for us. Yeah, at first viewing, I thought it was an own goal because I just couldn't see how the ball from my angle had drifted straight in. There was actually talk in the press room potentially that there was an, a shout from, I think it was Aubameyang who was maybe just behind him. I don't know, whatever oh, it was. a sly like, leave it. it yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would love it if that's the case. He can have an assist for that, if so. Yeah. Wow, that would be something. That would be something. That would be two assists for Aubameyang because he got an assist uh, for the third goal for Alexandre Lacazette. Mm-hmm. Interesting, James, that a guy who hasn't played that often for the full 90 minutes has made a mark in the final five or ten minutes. He scored twice. I'm not saying that these are goals that bolster your numbers um in a in a wrong way or anything but you know when you're a striker playing against tired legs playing against a team that's been pulled apart playing against a team that now has to to push forward and and go for it to try and get something out of a game those are the moments that you can often take advantage of and we saw that yesterday it's really interesting isn't it because had Lacazette been substituted at 70 minutes I do think perception of his performance yesterday would have been obviously wildly different. Yeah. I actually think he struggled to get into the game for, for long periods. I thought, you know, he had a real physical battle against West Ham and didn't necessarily uh, win that battle at times, but he stayed on the field. And when the chances came, he was he was what you'd hope him to be, which was very, very efficient. I mean, like this first goal, I know it deflected, but I really liked, well, I liked a lot about the goal, actually. I liked the fact that all three forwards combined. I liked that there was a bit more link up between Aubameyang and Lacazette. And I like just the certainty with which he hit that finish. You know, he put that power in it so that even if there was a block on it, and it wasn't a great block in fairness, it was going through anyway. And I thought uh, it was really good for his confidence yesterday to get those two goals. And Arsene Wenger will feel justified in, in giving him the full game. Yeah, we, I was a little bit... Uh... For the first goal he scored, I was like, why Why did he take a touch there? I thought he might have just gone with it first time because it was uh, sat up perfectly for him. Uh, you know, mm. for a striker of his quality, I thought a first-time finish would have been in order, but I had the sense that he pushed it a little bit too far wide, but no, good finish. Uh, got a bit of help with the deflection. I think the uh, the second goal was really smart as well, wasn't it? The 
The work from Aaron Ramsey before that, the little shimmy in the box to make space to pull the ball back to him, the turn where I think it was Andy Carroll, actually, who was defending. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to have to look at this again. Um, let me just Must turn. be a good turn to get all the way around him. I mean, <laughs> it's a hell of a circumference. So, uh, yeah, it was brilliant from Ramsey. He sort of just almost flip-flaps the ball, doesn't he? One foot to the other. Yeah. Um, and then Lacazette, when he receives the ball, the first touch is everything because it, not only does it take him around the defender, it opens his body for the finish. It was a really, really nice goal, that fourth goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if it is Andy Carroll that he's done it here, I'm watching it here now. I think this is Ramsey doing it here. Um, I'm watching the build-up now. I'm a little bit too far back. I don't know why this is important to me. Well, it's always nice to see, you know, Andy Carroll on the receiving end of anything, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I must say, they must have... When they saw our starting lineup and saw Espino was playing, I wonder if Moyes sort of hurriedly attempted to try and crowbar Carroll into his team at the last minute, yeah. call someone out with a fake injury. Surprised it took so long to sort see him, to be honest. He didn't come on until, I think, like the 87th minute. Yeah, if Andy Carroll is number nine, then it is... Um, it's it is, a- he is number nine. Yeah, well, that's who it was. I mean, fair play to him, I suppose, for being back there in the first place, but uh, it's lovely to see him uh, get absolutely diddled there by Lacazette. That was, that was lovely. Joe Hart got a touch. Not enough. Um, so there you go. I thought we were going to witness that, that rarest of things, a good Joe Hart performance at one point. He did make Ooh. a couple of very decent saves, didn't he? Yeah, the one from Welbeck was amazing, wasn't it? The the one that he oh, just tipped around the post. Looked in from the moment it was hit that shot, and I couldn't really believe it when he when he got to yeah. it. So. But anyway, he got his comeuppance in the end. We got the four goals. It's, it was a little bit reminiscent to me of that Stoke match a couple of weeks ago where I'm not really sure we necessarily were as good as the margin of victories guessed, but I'm very, very happy to take it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Late flurries of goals often put a shine on a on a scoreline, but they don't tell the true story of the performance. Um, you know, but at this point, does uh, does the performance really matter that much? There isn't any point in analysing the flaws, the weaknesses, the strengths of this team beyond what we've got left this season, right? Which is obviously uh, the, the games against Atletico Madrid. Those are the two big games in which the, the performances really, really matter. Um, mm. I, I think just going into that game on Thursday off the back of a good win, two goals for Lacazette, you know, strikers thrive on confidence. Ramsey with a goal and an assist, I think it now makes him the highest scoring central midfielder uh, under Arsene Wenger or possibly in Arsenal's history. I'm not quite sure. Um, we, we touched on that stat a bit last week, but, you know, that's 11 goals for the season now for Aaron Ramsey. Um, you know, it was uh, not quite a confidence booster, but you'd rather go into this game on Thursday off the back of a good uh, a good win during which the players seemed to enjoy themselves as well. They came off the pitch happy, and I think that's important when we're going into a, a game like Thursday. Yeah, I think it will be good for confidence. On that Aaron Ramsey thing, I think I saw a stat from Arsenal that he's now in the top 10 goal scorers under Arsene Wenger. Wow. Uh, he's moved in at number 10. Yeah, just behind, I think, Emmanuel Bayor is in ninth. So he's only about 10 goals away. So if he stays next season, he could he could climb again. But uh, yeah, I think it was really good for the confidence. I think it's absolutely right what you say about Lacazette, who's actually made pretty impressive return from injury in terms of his goal scoring contribution he's hit the ground running really is about as well as we could have expected him to after his two months absence uh the one thing i would say is that we do need to be better at the back than we were against west ham there's no way we can afford to go anything like the space we did in that first half 
because they have superior players who will take advantage of it. Yeah. I mean, that that kind of goes without saying, um, yeah. but it's worth saying anyway. Do you feel like he might change his approach a little bit for... Um, for Atletico. Do you think there's any way he might play with three at the back? He went to three at the back, didn't he, in the last few minutes, I think, uh, yesterday when Callum Chambers went on. Uh, I think he slotted in alongside Mustafi and Koscielny. I, I, I think the change he was going to make for Atletico was to uh, break up the Shaka-Ramsey partnership and install El Nenny alongside Shaka and have Ramsey more advanced. I think I think that was his plan. Um to kind of, you know, have a little bit more security in the side. Now that he's been potentially robbed of that option, I think he'll consider it. But I think he's I think he's decided he's is he's, he's, he's gonna do it his way. He's gonna go out, you know, the Arsene Wenger way and that's four at the back. I can't see him changing it. Do you think he'll do it? I don't know. I don't know. I just wonder if he might look at the squad and who's available. For example, Mesut Ozil has been ill. Jack Wilshire should be available, I believe. Um, Mkhitaryan out, it looks like. Yeah, Mkhitaryan's not going to make it, so that might have an impact on the way he feels we we can attack. And I wonder as well if the desire not to concede an away goal, or at least to try not concede an away goal, might have an impact on the way he approaches the game. You know, Mm. we've got the second leg away. Um, Yeah, you can see how it would work, because without Mkhitaryan and with Wilshire to be honest, really out of form and just coming back from injury. And he's often worse when he's a bit rusty. You, you, you're one attacking player shy, right? And you're not desperate necessarily to play Alex Awobi after his performance against West Ham. Not yeah. was, wasn't his finest hour. So you could go with your three centre-halves, probably Callum Chambers based on the pecking order. Although I, I, I do wonder if Kolasinac is fit, if I'd rather see Monreal in there alongside uh, Mustafi and Koscielny. Yeah. Then you've got your wing-backs, Shaka and Ramsey, and then I suppose Erzan Welbeck off Lacazette. That would be how you would do it, assuming Mesut makes it. So, you know, there is an appealing look about that team. I just feel that Arsene Wenger has made a decision about the back four. I don't necessarily see him wavering from it now when, in his mind, he probably thinks, well, what Mm. do I have to lose? We will find out in due course, of uh, of course, of course, of course, a horse, etc. Of course, uh, of course. Yes. Uh, that's coming up on Thursday. Uh, we will have uh, an extra bonus podcast this week for you. I'm going to chat to uh, a Spanish-based journalist about Atletico Madrid, what we can expect from them and, and everything else. It won't be a hugely long one, but it's a little bit of extra bonus podcast material for you this week. So, James, that Great. takes us to uh, the post-game stuff and the Arsene Wenger press conference, which I watched. Mm. And I'm sure many of you watched. Um, curious as to what your just overall sense of of how it happened and what he was like, his demeanour, uh, and mm. what he was saying. What what was your takeaway from it all? Uh, my sort of personal response to it is that I I found it uh, quite emotional. I think that's inevitable for any Arsenal fan who's kind of watching this process happen, and. I was suddenly struck by how human Arsene Wenger seemed to me. And in some ways, how vulnerable. I think, you know, he we've sort of perceived him as having this un- invulnerability at Arsenal and this, you know, autonomy or this omnipotence. But suddenly there was this guy there, you know, coming up for 68 years old, who's been there for 22 years. And the those numbers... Uh, began to seem somewhat absurd to me. I, I, the, the, the kind of 
it's almost like the spell was broken and I was just looking at a guy who's clearly an extraordinary guy. Mm. He's just he's just a man, but what what a man he is. And I uh when he spoke about the fans and the uh, you know the the reputation of the club, I think as a fan who has wanted managerial change, I think you're left with quite a sort of complex um a complex series of emotions. It's it. I have to be honest that there is like a, a tiny tinge of of guilt for me about uh, the situation. I, and I, I don't, and I'm not saying that any fans have done anything wrong or necessarily, but it's odd. I I feel like the right thing has happened, but I feel my culpability in it. it complicates things for me. Do, yeah. do, do, do you understand what I mean by that? No, I know exactly what you mean. Because it is, it's been a long relationship, and I think what's what's been interesting over the weekend and since this news broke is the idea that just because you wanted a change of manager, that somehow you're responsible for this in any way, or mm. you you've done him a disservice. And I think you know uh, we can only speak for ourselves. I think we've always tried to express our our opinion very honestly. We've always been scrupulously honest while maintaining respect for the man and affection for the man and admiration for him and everything that he's done. And I agree with you. You, When you see him there yesterday, there, there, there it felt like, not that something is broken, but yeah, there's sort of like a, a mask has been taken away, that he is not mm. Arsene Wenger, Arsenal manager. He is Arsene Wenger, the man, just a man, mm. like you are, like I am, like, uh, you know, any, anybody else listening to this. I was going to tell a story on on the uh, Arscast last Friday, and I forgot completely to do it. I've never met Arsene Wenger, but I have been in the same room as him once. And it was a room right. full of people who were enjoying food and drinks, and uh, Arsene Wenger came into the room, and his presence was not noticed at first, but then it became apparent because everybody was talking and they were, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they were talking. And then all of a sudden this kind of hush came over the room. It was really, really quite surreal Mm. that his presence brought about this quietness, this calm came over the room. People were like, Oh, it's him. There he is. I can say, Oh, it's Arsene Wenger. It's Arsene Wenger. You know, it was respectful. I think is the way I could describe it. And then, as happens in situations like this, the volume just started to get a little bit more, and then back and back to normal, back to normal. But he had this incredible presence just by being in the room. He had an effect on every single person in there, mm. and it was quite something to witness. I have to say that it's very difficult to to separate him from the job in a way because he has been the job and he has been the the figurehead of the club. And he's always been there. This is part of what we were talking about, that this separation, he said, you know, in some ways he's able to separate the emotions from the job and he's able to separate people's personal opinions of him from the job. But they've been so intertwined for such a long time that this, I don't know how to describe it. I, I know exactly what you mean. There is a sentimentality towards Arsene Wenger that has been nice and he even spoke about it didn't he? he said it's very nice for people to say all these things about me he said you know maybe the praise i've got has been a bit too much sometimes but then so is the criticism criticism has been a, a bit too much and i think you know it's possible to feel sentimental towards him and yet still feel like for the football club 
And even for him, to an extent, this is the right decision at the right time. Yeah, I, I think any relationship, you know, be that a working relationship, a, a personal relationship that lasts that long, there's no way you get to the end of it and you go, as Arsene Wenger said yesterday, there's no way you get to the end of something you've been that invested in and it's just a clean cut and, you know, it's <laughs> there's no ties to be severed. There's no feeling of loss, you know. Yeah. I One thing that was really clear to me yesterday watching Arsene is that something we've speculated about on this podcast, elsewhere – and not always done it necessarily in the, in the most, uh, well, in the kindest way, I suppose, is the sense that Arsene is absolutely a, a thousand percent dedicated to this job, so committed to it and lives in slight terror of what comes be, beyond it. And I think that that's actually been relatively harmful uh, to to the club in, in recent seasons in in some ways. But he was very upfront about that yesterday. He spoke very clearly about, I don't know, how I'm going to cope with this situation. I can't make any promises about if I will take a job in England, if I won't take a job. Yeah. Because I do not know how I'm going to manage in this next phase of my life. It's clearly something that he's facing with a degree of trepidation. And I think that as people who admire him and uh, respect him enormously, which I think is, you know, a vast proportion of the Arsenal fan base, that is that is sad to see. It is a sad situation because I do think in his ideal world, he would be managing Arsenal next season. I really, really believe that. You know, yeah. I don't think that's in doubt at all. Um and it's it, you know, nobody wishes I think any ill upon him. I think genuinely the thing that Arsenal fans would want most is for Arsene Wenger in whatever he does next to be happy. Yeah. And to be content. Uh, I think he's afraid that he cannot do that without this job. But, you know, I'm sure people think that a lot in life and I'm sure that they do find things that, you know, he's, he's 68, but he's got a, he's got potentially a lot ahead of him. Yeah, for sure. And look, after 22 years anywhere, I don't, I don't mean to say you become institutionalised, but he made the point, didn't he? He said, I work seven days a week, not six days, not six mm. and a half days, seven days a week for 22 years, uh, you know, for the football club. And he said, I didn't always get it right, but, you know, I made decisions that I thought were the best for the football club. And when, when that's your life, and when your life is so involved with your job, for that to be gone has got to be a difficult thing to deal with. Because what do you do? Your routine is gone. Your routine, what you do day after day after day is gone. Your involvement with the players, your, you know, he obviously loves working with footballers. He loves taking training. He wasn't one of those managers who, who, who delegated his training to his coaches. He did it all. He was involved yeah. on the training ground every morning, you know, with senior players, with young players, giving them their breakthroughs, developing them. You know, it hasn't always gone as well as we might've liked, but you know, for him, as a man, this this was his life, and Arsenal was his life, and you know I think he's right to say he leaves Arsenal, um, you know, in a very different place than it was when when he took over. When you look at the stadium, when you look at the training ground, you know, some of it, of course, is tied into the Premier League itself, the development uh, and the money in the Premier League just demands that kind of expansion anyway. But uh, you know, his impact on the club and what he's what he's done for it uh, in his mind, and I think in my mind. Um, has been absolutely fantastic. So for that to be taken away, and I think we can we can make the assumption, can't we, that it was put to him that look, you can make the decision or you can make the announcement or or we will go a different way and we'll have to do it in a different way, right? 
Is that your sense of, of everything? Uh, yeah, I yeah. I feel like it must be. Yeah. I feel like it absolutely must so it's, be. It's, and the way in which Arsene yeah. is kind of evading, answer, you know, being explicit about how he arrived at that decision, I think is is in its way its its own answer. Yeah, so it's um, not it's not his it's not his decision. It's not like he has come to the conclusion himself that okay, it's time, and I've got to do something different, or I've got to let somebody else take over here. I think you know he's been presented with a set of circumstances and made a decision based on that. But I think if you were to ask him what would you do ideally, like you say, I think it would be come back next season, work even harder, try harder to turn things around and make us competitive again. I think that genuinely is what he would do. Now I'm not saying that yeah. would be the right thing for him or for the football club, but I think that's what he would do. So it's it's um as as surreal and perhaps traumatic and seismic as it is for any of us as Arsenal fans, for him as a person, as a man, it's got to be huge. It does, yeah. And I I can't help but have, you know, huge sympathy with him on that count and I really do hope that he you know he he navigates his way through this transition uh well I mean this is normal for a football club and it's normal for a football manager mm. but what's been happening with Arsenal and Arsene Wenger has not been normal it is and almost you know we talk about Sir Alex Ferguson it's kind of remarkable there are two such unique examples within English football in the last few decades yeah uh this this is in no way an ordinary thing that's happened and actually now that something ordinary has happened like a managerial change the kind of curious nature of what's been going on seems all the more clear you know we have behaved differently to every other football club major european football club for the past 15 years yeah we behaved completely differently we've been operating on a completely different plan and there is something to take some pride in about that. I think the sort of respective loyalty that Arsenal and Arsenal have showed each other, uh, I think is in some ways commendable. However, there's nothing about any of what's going on that makes me think this is the wrong decision. No, no. And I think, you know, it was really important for this relationship when it was going to end, to end in a positive way as much as possible. And, And Europe may play a part in that, it may not. But I think... You know, generally speaking, over the weekend, the reaction has been positive because I think most people do feel like it's the right decision, but they can also mm-hmm. they can also feel all those human emotions. They can feel the affection. They can feel the sympathy. They can feel uh, the achievement that they've uh, experienced under Arsene Wenger. They can remember all the good times because now the frustration, I think, for, for many uh, – came from the the sense that nothing was going to change or was likely to change or that we were just retreading old ground over and over again, right? And it's the repetitiveness yeah. of, of that which I think became a huge frustration. And now there is there's an end in sight. There's an end in sight and um you know we can head there we can head there with with uh with some goodwill I think. What did you make? I mean there was a few headlines coming out of the press conference about Arsene's comments on how the unhappiness of the fans was influencing the image of the club. What did you make of that sort of section of what he was saying? Uh, I wrote about it on the blog today. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, when you see Wenger out signs being held up at marches and sporting events all around the world, 
you know, I, I, I always found that a bit hard to take. You know, I, I found it hard that Arsenal or, and what was going on at Arsenal became a running joke or a meme. And I'm not going to apportion blame here, you know, on Wenger, on the club maybe for not acting, on fans for protesting or for people taking up that little meme and, and running with it. But I still found it hard to deal with. I found it, you know, I didn't like it that much. Mm. I never got, I never found it funny when some guy at some march for whatever, some political rally somewhere where the politics was important, thought it appropriate to hold up a sign saying Wenger out. I just mm. never got on board with that kind of thing. And it must be hurtful, you know. Again, we're talking about this on a human level, on a personal level, that when you're, you know, to your own mind, doing your best and doing the best job that you can and putting everything you have into that job, not six days, not six and a half days, seven days a week, when you're trying your hardest and it's not working and you're the subject of abuse, which I think, is, again, I just want to stress, it's a very small minority who who went to the extremes, uh, but you can't be blind to it. Arsene Wenger could never have been blind to it or deaf to what was being said or what was being um, thrown at him from certain sections. And you, you would have to have a, a hide like a rhino for that not to affect you in some way. So to say that some of that was hurtful to him, I understand it. I don't have mm. any problem with that. Like if someone was calling you a fucking fraud and a useless cunt and a senile this and whatever, you know, as much as you can say, well, that, those are the words of a crank. Those are the words of somebody without any manners or without, without any decency. You wouldn't be human if it didn't hurt you in some way. So for him to acknowledge that, I don't think there's any problem with that. And I think what he said, you know, is he doesn't have any resentment towards fans. There's no resentment towards fans, but if if my presence here is affecting the image of the club and something that he's worked really hard for, then if that in some way was a factor in his decision to step down or in the, the discussions as to why it would be appropriate for him to step down, I don't see any problem with that either. No, I mean, the what, the only thing... The only thing I would say, and it, you know, obviously, I suppose we have to take him at face value. But if you look at last season, for example, the protest, the kind of public outcry against him, was actually significantly stronger. And yet, come the end of that season, he seemed very eager to stay on and 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 sign a new contract. So that's what makes me think, when it comes down to it, this is a situation where he was kind of put in a corner and told you know either mm. you go or, or 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 we we let you go because yeah. i just think there's been enough fan rancor and opposition in the last say three four years that he has resisted maybe it has eventually taken its toll but i, I my impression is that he kind of was able to continue his work uh, has such deep reserves of self-belief that he was kind of able to yeah. put that to one side yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I think as well, we can't look beyond people talk about protests and they talk about uh, everything else. But I think the empty seats this season have, have, uh, have played a, a big part. And uh, yeah. depending on who you talk to, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going around. You know, I've spoken to a number of people over the weekend about how this potentially went down and how it didn't go down. And there are conflicting reports and conflicting stories. But I don't think the, the fact... 
Uh, we I don't think we can overlook the fact that Arsenal playing in front of a half-empty stadium week in, week out for the last number of months uh, has played a, a part in this as well. And that, that mm. in some ways is a... You know, is that's the fans, and that's the fans staying away. Whether it's a, an active protest or a passive protest, it makes no difference. The seats, the seats told the story. All the same, James, there was a moment in, in the press conference, uh, which was typically Arsene Wenger. He's given us some great lines down the years. I thought this was pretty good. I'm going to play this little clip here now, particularly when you talk about the. We spoke about the Ivan Gazidis press conference on Friday. And I had mm. said to you, it felt like an obituary, almost funereal, like he was, like Arsene Wenger was dead. Uh, and this is part of what Arsene Wenger had to say yesterday. I had the feeling a little bit uh, to assist life at my funeral. And, uh, uh, because uh, people speak about you, how you were, no? So it was a little bit uh, interesting on that front. So I don't need to die anymore. I know what it is now. <laughs> Um, I thought that was <laughs> I thought that was pretty good actually, and uh, the, the, no doubt in my mind that that not necessarily a shot across the bows, but certainly a response to to what went on last Friday. Yeah, I'm sure it's in part that, and I'm sure you know Arsene Wenger hates to look back. It doesn't he? he always whenever he's asked what's your greatest achievement, you know what would this be your best title or your mm. best win? He's always like I don't look back. It's just not how he thinks about things and. I think he won't have enjoyed the sort of career retrospective that he'll probably feel is taking place prematurely. Um, but I, yeah, I think, you know, that sort of quip is the sort of thing that we will miss from Arsene. And I do think that we have to be allowed to have this duality. We have to be able to say that we think we need a change in manager for the team and for the club. But I think we're also entitled, even those of us who've been saying for you know, however long it is that, that we think there should be a change of manager, that we will miss Arsene and we will miss his press conferences and we will miss his character and his personality because Arsenal might find a better coach than Arsene Wenger this summer, but they, I think they'll struggle to find a better man. Going to leave a little pause there because, uh, yeah, that's spot on. Absolutely spot on. Okay, we are going to take a little break here. We're going to come back in part two with your questions and more right after this. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions sent to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page. Just before we uh, get into the questions, I'd like to ask you, if you haven't already given us a rating or review on iTunes, if you could do that, that would be swell. It helps push us up the charts. A lot of competition out there in the podcast world and uh, it'd be cool for us to, uh, to get to number one or number four or number seven. I don't know. What number would you like? One, four, seven, 16? Oh, no, I'll take number one, please. Yeah? Okay. Oh, number one's a great number, yeah. And I don't understand why Petr Cech's still persisting with number 33. Number one, please, all the way. Yeah, all right. Okay, uh, questions then. Do you want to go first or will I? Uh, I'll go first. Okay. Why not? Why not? Take the initiative. Um, this is a question from Arsenal Finances. <laughs> what a name. Who's <laughs> at hsinner144 on Twitter. Um, and Arsenal Finances says... Given the recent emphasis on the values of the club, and values is in all, all in capital letters, 
Uh, our most fundamental value, which Arsene has given us, is positive attacking progression football. Hence, I can't understand why so many fans are asking for Allegri or Simeone. What do you think? I think that's a reasonable question, isn't it? I think what people look for or, or crave in managers like Simeone and, and Allegri is organisation and solidity mm-hmm. and defensive structures, things which have been our fundamental failings over the last number of years, right? So if you've yeah. got a manager who can organise a defence and, and make you uh, parsimonious at the back, then, then you know, that's something that people really want. Um can you then do it with a ta- combine that with a, with good attacking play? I mean, look, you can go back to the early days of George Graham, uh, 1991, where we had a, a great defence, which only let in 17 or 18 goals in in winning the title, but had you know really good attacking players as well, Anders Limpar. You know, it is possible to combine the two things. So I suspect people look at some of the attacking players that we have. When you've got the creativity of Mesut Ozil, you've got Lacazette there now, you've got Mkhitaryan, you've got Aubameyang, uh, Aaron Ramsey. There's plenty there in attack. You could add to it, of course, but, you know, you can see where there are goals. And if you could combine those things with a better organized defense, better organized midfield, perhaps more structured to the way that we play, a little less free form, you could see why that would be a very attractive proposition to people because, you know, is Allegri going to come in and just, uh, or, or Simeone? I mean, Simeone's never going to happen. Nobody should be in any doubt about that. We've touched on this before in the podcast. But, you know, if that kind of manager comes in, is he just going to get rid of those players? and get, you know, the you know big man up front and just hoof it up towards it? I don't think so. So I think people are looking at the attacking talent that we have, and if you can improve us defensively, certainly in midfield as well, then it feels like it would be a, a potentially a very successful project. I suppose that's the idea, isn't it, that we sort of have... Uh it's unusual to talk about the attacking part of your team as the foundation, but you know, thanks to Osmega, we do kind of have a, a relatively impressive array of attacking talent. And what we need is sort of the other, the backwards half of the team dealt mm. with. Um, I suppose the one thing you could say is that while we do have a lot of talented individuals, they've not necessarily uh, found a way yet to play in a particularly coherent manner or all be on the field at the same time. So there is still a task to be done there but yeah. it's primarily an organisational one um, I just wonder if there has been a lot of emphasis from from Arsene and from Gazidis on that you know the values of the club and the style of football that we wish to play I just wonder if that will be quite a big factor in any appointment they make they won't be see, they won't want to be seen I mean, I enjoyed the, uh, you know, there was a lot about Gazidis' press conference I didn't enjoy, but I did enjoy that the the criteria he laid out for a potential new manager yeah. were basically anti-Mourinho criteria. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what did know, he say? It was, like it was something like, uh, take me and make him stronger in every strong point I have, which I think is a great answer. Oh, yeah, that's Arsene said that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, I, there was a little bit of uh, irony, obviously, behind that, but I... I I, it's really hard, the new manager thing. I had a lot of interesting chats yesterday with different people about who they think it might be, you know, which way it's going to go. But there's there's no one name that seems particularly uh, at the forefront right now. And yeah. even when you look at the betting odds, they're kind of shifting all the time. Sometimes that can be a good indicator, but they're they're all over the place. At the mm, yeah. People talking quite a bit about Patrick Vieira, which is... Um Interesting. Yeah, last night that was um, around a lot, wasn't it? Yeah, well, here's a question from Tobias, who is at AFC Course, or AFC Urs, 
where the C becomes a course. But if it's AF, AF course, I don't know how to do this, Tobias. Anyway, sure. the, the question is, what do you think is the priority for the directors slash the, the board to make a popular edition or a good one? For example, Rafa Benitez, good for the club, says Tobias, but maybe not popular. Mm. I think I think surely, especially given what Arsene said yesterday about the unity and the image of the club, it will be in their mind to make... <sighs> Maybe not a populist appointment, but an appointment that is not going to be divisive. Um, mm. You know, I know people get upset whenever Brendan Rodgers' name is mentioned on this podcast, but I think that that oh, is shit. essentially the... <laughs> you can beat that out, can't you, in post? No, no, no. It's just um, I had this thing set up, so every time somebody said the word Brendan, uh, this piece of music <laughs> would play. So it was going to be every time he said Brendan... <laughs> <laughs> and I forgot all about it. And then you said, Brendan. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. But but for that reason, I won't say it again, just to save you the technical trouble. If, anything, but <laughs> if for the, that reason alone, I think he can be discounted because it would immediately be divisive it wouldn't create the harmony around the club that yeah that everybody requires at this point um whether or not they would go in the other direction and make you know what you could term a populist appointment someone who maybe doesn't necessarily have the cv that you might anticipate but would immediately unite the fans like a patrick vieira i don't know i don't know what i can say is that i don't know if vieira is the right guy to take the job mm. i do know if he gets it he will have my absolute unwavering support. Yeah, I mean, it would be a romantic uh, appointment, wouldn't it? Bringing back a, a great ex-player uh, to step into the shoes of the man who brought him to the club and made him such an Arsenal legend. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they're going to have to think very, very carefully about who they appoint and, and why they make that appointment. They would be wise to err away from sentimentality, though, I think, because... This is a big job and there's a big job of work to do. And the idea of a, an ex-player coming in and, um, you know, taking us on and making us competitive again is brilliant. But I don't think we have an ex-player who is necessarily ready for that job. Even Patrick Vieira, who's got some managerial experience, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure... You know, well, of course, we can't be 100% sure about anything. I would just maybe like to see him manage at a different level than MLS before, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things to consider. One is, you know, we're talking about, are we going to get an attacking coach? Are we going to get a defensive-minded coach? I couldn't even tell you which one of those Patrick Vieira is. I'm sure people mm. who watch the MLS might have an idea, but I, I certainly don't know. No. Um the other thing is that if we are going to get Patrick Vieira or if we are have any long-term interest in him, might it be a consideration that if we don't act sooner rather than later, he will be further embedded in the, the city project and yeah. that, you know, inevitably he'll end up, you know, going more in that direction. We sort of lose our chance to, to grab him while we can. Do you think that's a factor? Could well be, could well be. He's fairly well set up in the city uh, um, thing now anyway, isn't he? You know, um, mm -hmm. so yeah, maybe, maybe that'll be a consideration. I just, uh, I just don't know. I don't know. I, I have a feeling they're probably going to go for somebody with a bit more experience, just a bit more I, experience. I, I think so too. I think so too. But if, if you, if they're, if they were thinking minded to make an appointment to unite the fan base that, you know, 
clearly that would be sort of the, the sentimental way to go. It's the truth is no one knows really mm. in, in England how, how well Patrick Vieira would fare at Arsenal. It's very, very difficult to say. So yeah. I think it's probably too much of a risk, but Okay. We'll see. Okay. All right. Uh, is it my question, question or your question? I think it's, I think it's mine actually. All right. Okay. Uh, oh, well, this is an interesting one from Tom Jones. Uh, not the Tom Jones. He's Tom Servo Jones, at Tom Servo Jones. Ah, uh, that's not Tom unusual. Says, yeah. Uh, what would you and James like to see Wenger do next? Hang around at Arsenal in some capacity or manage elsewhere? Uh, and then Tom says, I'd love for him to stick around, but would really like to see him carrying on doing what he loves, managing. Look, I think when when it's a situation like this, I think you need a break. I think Arsenal need a break. Arsene Wenger needs a break. You know, he said yesterday he'd have no part in uh, the the selection of his successor, and I think that's absolutely right. That's something he has he's always said that, and he's always been consistent about that. That it's not his job to pick the next man. That's down to the club to do that. If the club have decided, and it seems that that's the case, if the club have decided that Arsene Wenger is no longer the man to take charge, then you can't ask him to pick the, the next guy, right? Can't tell a guy, we don't think you're you're good enough anymore. Uh, please help us because we don't know what we're doing. I don't think that's the case. You know, the, the, the question about whether he would come back at some point in the future in some capacity was one he answered uh, by saying, well, that's not up to me. You know, he can't make that decision. Arsenal can make that decision. And Arsene Wenger as... Some kind of an ambassador, perhaps, uh, in the future, a bit like uh, Bobby Charlton was or is at Manchester United. Maybe some kind of um, advisor to the board, if that's the way they want to go. You know, you could make a good case for that happening. And I don't think, this is why I think it's very important that the, the, the break, so to speak, is handled with as much goodwill as possible. Because you don't want it to be a case that after such a long time, there's a... Uh, an irreparable schism between manager, between Arsene Wenger and the club, right? That would be terrible. That mm. would be really awful. So I don't want to see him there um, pushed upstairs onto the board or something like that, because I think right now he would hate that. In the future, maybe he might be able to do something. I think I would like to see Arsene Wenger as manager of France. I think that would be uh, a fantastic job for him. I think it would be a fantastic job for or a thing for the French national side. Um, it feels like a good fit. The problem, of course, is how much involvement you have yeah. with players and with football on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, you only get the players a few times a year. Um, but I think that would be a really... Uh, that would be a really interesting appointment. Could you? Could he get a job at another club in Europe? Absolutely. I don't think there's there'll be any shortage of offers to Arsene Wenger for next season from clubs. I think that what's interesting about it, though, right, is we have this we have this uh, idea, and rightly so, of Arsene Wenger as somebody who is a long term manager. Uh, at a club and he's been 22 years at Arsenal which is where that that's come from and he was quite a long time at Monaco as well but I think the the fact that he is 68 years of age and I'm not saying that he's past it or anything like it I'm just saying that at 68 you have a finite number of years left so you can't be a long-term manager I don't think he can go somewhere and manage a product uh, project he's got to no. go somewhere and have an impact immediately and that will be very interesting if he goes to another club 
what kind of club will he go to, what will be expected of him at that club, and what can he deliver? What can he deliver in very different circumstances from the ones he's worked at uh, at Arsenal? That will be very curious, I think. The, the French national job certainly an interesting one, and one I'm sure, I mean, depending on how they fare this summer, almost irrespective, really, there's such a churn in international managers, isn't there, after any World Cup, that I think inevitably that's going to be a possibility. And I know it doesn't have the day-to-day contact that he's looking for, but I'm sure he could combine a role like that with a broader role within the French Football Association or even the English Football Association. I'm sure that they'll want to speak to him do, about do, some do kind of... Do you think he want to go into something like administration, though? I don't think he want to be an administrator. I think his passion is for is for the football, not the... I mean, I, he always speaks about the values of the game and, the, and, and, you know, talks about things that are for the good of the game. But I think what, what Arsene Wenger loves more than anything is an actual football and being on a pitch mm. and being with players and helping players and, and, and everything else. So I can't see him go into any kind of administrative role. I personally, I would like, I mean, in my ideal world, I'd love him to see it, to see him take a, a relatively big job in a, in a, in a country where, you know, he can contest for prizes and win things. I think more realistically, I could see him kind of going down the, the veteran manager route, you know, the sort of Hiddinky, Trapattoni kind of route where, you know, he sort of, like you say, has sort of short-term roles. So he might take a country into the World Cup, for example, but then equally he might, you know, do a season at a European club. I think I think he, he's a guy who loves to travel. He loves breadth of work. I think he'll surprise us as well. I mean, don't forget, this is a guy who left French football to go to Japan. I wouldn't be remotely surprised if he takes a job in some far-flung country we didn't necessarily anticipate. Mm. Um, I I don't know what he's going to do next, but I do think that before too long, I hope he has a significant holiday, but I think he'll be back in work. I don't think this is retirement. No, 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 absolutely not. He will take another job. Uh, It just depends how quickly or how quickly he feels like he can get back to work or wants to get back to work after, you know, what will be, I think, a difficult moment for him when when the time comes at Arsenal, when he has to walk away, when he's got to clear out his desk and clear out his office and do all those mundane things that you have to do when you leave a job. Um, it'll be how that affects him and how he how he feels like he can cope with it. Some people will just go, right, okay, the best way to cope with this is straight back on the horse and straight back into another job. Um, Mm. Other people might want to, you know, sit and reflect and take some time. We'll just have to wait and see. But, uh, you know, when when Arsene Wenger uh, becomes the new uh, manager of Barcelona, we can all have a good laugh. Um, Right. Here's a question for you um, from Shaving Arshavin. Okay. (laughs) Uh, which is an image, isn't it? Um, he says, and it's on this very thing, uh, imagine like shaving Arshavin completely, just shaving him from head to toe, like every single bit of I, hair on his body and then smothering him with lard. He's probably not a very hairy man, I imagine, Arshavin. No, probably not. Probably not. Um, it would uh, mean you could probably do it with one or two razors. Yeah. Anyway, look, we're getting off the point here. Uh, The point is, um, how much do you hope... uh, Shaving our Shavin, by the way, is Christo21497023. And he says, how much do you hope that Wenger's next job is writing his book? And Mm. on top of that, Alan Braun says, if Wenger does write a book, what chapter from his 22 years are you most looking forward to reading? 
Anytime you thought, I'd love to know what was going on there. Yeah, I've had a few, there were a few questions about this. I mean, I am crossing every possible finger. Well, I've only got 10 of them, eight, if you don't count the thumbs. I'm, I, I really hope he writes the book, is what I'm trying to say. Um, I don't know if he ever will. I have said that before. Mm, yeah. Um, but he'll probably just do like a, you know, a big long interview with being sports instead. Uh, but I'll 17 hours, 17 hour interview. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's the, the potential to make like an amazing book or documentary out of these 22 years. Isn't mm. there, you know, something long form, something really, um, really stylish and really brilliant because there have been incredible 22 years, ups and downs and everything else. Um, but yeah, I, I hope he writes the book. I hope he writes the book. Um, but what uh, what chapter? What chapter do we particularly? I, I mean, there's so many. I mean, this last chapter would be absolutely fascinating. I, you know, it's, I know it's just in the the current sphere, but I'd love to know how exactly everything yeah. went down this season. Um, I, I think um, I think I would. I'd love to know exactly what went on in the summer of 2011. Yeah, that's the first thing as I well. I think that that's that's the one that really jumps out at me with the Fabregas and Nasri thing, what went on in both those situations, uh, why there was such inertia at the club when we knew what was going to go on, when we knew that players wanted to leave, why did we leave it so late, why... Why did we uh, have that trolley dash? Why did it get to a point where we got beaten 8-2 at Old Trafford? Why did we sign Park? You know, where the fuck did that come from? All of that summer, I would love to know what went on behind the scenes. Love to. Mm. Mm. I think that is the obvious one. I'm just trying to think uh, what else, if there's anything else in particular. I mean, that encompasses so much because you have got Cess, you have got Nasri. You have got Park, who remains one of the great enigmas of, of Arsene Wenger's reign. Careful, um, careful. You don't want any more trouble on your mouth. <laughs> I'd love to know uh, what the chat he had with uh, Robin Van Persie that we heard about in Robin Van Persie's open letter, how that went down exactly. Yeah, there's um, been some stories about that, hasn't there? That uh, Yeah, the, the, there have been some stuff during the rounds, which wasn't far from the truth. Um, right. Yeah, that would be a good one. What else? What else? I, I, I don't know, really. Um, There's so much, isn't there? Because, you know, the for example, the the conversations he must have had with Vieira summer after summer. I mean, I think, you know, in, the, in history, we've forgotten how not troublesome Patrick Vieira was, but because he was such a brilliant player, there were so many offers for him, so many big clubs wanted him, and he did flirt mm. with going to Real Madrid or going to uh, Italy way before it actually happened. And all, all the time Arsenal resisted. I can remember, was it 2003 maybe when, could have been 2003 and we got Vieira and Perez to sign new deals. And that was a big, big deal at that time because of, mm. you know, every summer there was, gosh, do I have a, do I have this thing here? I've got an article from ages ago. Um, if, if, if you're a younger fan and you don't really uh, remember it, it was essentially a bit like David De Gea at Manchester United. It was that much of a sort of perceived as that much of an inevitability that eventually Real Madrid would take him, wasn't it? I mean, it was it was relentless. 
Yeah, it really was. And it was summer after summer after summer, and it became a bit difficult to deal with. But then what was the conversation like when Wenger, when Wenger told him, look, we're letting you go? Oh, here's, here's some yeah. quotes from Patrick Vieira. I think this is um, 2001. 2001, and we'd signed Van Bronckhorst, Jeffers, Richard Wright. He said, I need to leave Arsenal because I want to win more trophies and I just can't see that happening at Arsenal, certainly over the next few years. Anyway, comparing Arsenal to the big clubs in Europe this season is going to be quite ridiculous. I honestly don't see Arsenal finishing in the top five in the league and you can forget the Champions League. And then when he talks about the signings, uh, he says, when I told Arsene Wenger I was leaving, he said to me, I have £25 million to spend on a few players. My answer was... Obviously, Mr. Wenger, you are not shopping in Harrods. That will only buy you one good player. Now I've been proved right. Arsene Wenger has signed two hopeful players who haven't proved themselves in the Premiership yet. One of them is only a boy of 20. You can't compete with the best clubs in Europe by making these kind of signings. With £25 million in the kitty, Arsenal is not a great European club. With that budget, they won't even be in the top 20 clubs in Europe. Now, that was Vieira in 2001. Wow. I mean, it's... Well, Francis so- Jeffers sure showed him. <laughs> yeah. No, but Proved I, him wrong. <laughs> Fuck you, No, Patrick I mean, Vieira. that is amazing, isn't it? it? If a player did that now, imagine the outcry. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine the conversations that he must have had. And re- this is 2001. Arsenal we made the- him captain a year after that. And we did the double in 2002. <laughs> We did the double in 2002. Uh, we should have done the double in 2003. Uh, went unbeaten in 2004 and probably should have won the Champions League in that year as well with Vieira right at the heart of it all, you know. So th- this is the kind of stuff that went on that people <laughs> people forget about, I suppose, because perhaps the, the internet was not as ubiquitous uh, at the time. Uh, it's easy to forget stuff like that, but... Like, you wouldn't be allowed to forget it now. The minute anybody said anything, there'd be a big screenshot on Twitter of going, yeah, look at what you said, you know, those years ago, you big bastard. Um, of course. So, yeah, I mean, that, the Thierry Henry um, decision to, to let Henry go to Barcelona, I mean, you know, I don't think it was that much of a surprise to any of us, was it, that that, that, that happened? But I'd love to ask him, like, where did, where did Eduardo come from? What was in yeah. your thinking as Arsenal manager, that you identified this Crozillian, a Croatian, naturalised Croatian, uh, uh, but from Brazil, where on earth did that come from to replace the greatest striker in Arsenal's history? And I'm not saying Eduardo was a bad decision. I think Eduardo could have been a really good player for us if he hadn't had that terrible injury. But it's like, what, what, how, how do you, how do you get there? You know, this is, I think, part of the the enigma of Arsene Wenger, that he does and has always done things that are surprising to us, that aren't what we think they're going to be, you know? Mm. So there's loads, loads yeah. of questions. The Anelka affair, you know, the whole business with him, going mm. to Real Madrid. And there's, I mean, there's been so many intrigues. It'd be fascinating to ask him about the boardroom shenanigans, you know, what happened with David Dean and the fallout from that. Uh it's it's a hell of a book if he ever gets around to it. It really, really is. Yeah, do it. Do it, Arson. Uh Martin Solly asks oh. Oh, right, new okay. managers. I've got another question. Yeah, that's fine. I'm, no, I'm no, not no. just saying the words Martin Solly. He's yeah. got a question. All right, good. Um 
New managers often come with their own staff. What do you think happens to Steve Bold in all of this? Do you think he has ambitions to be a manager elsewhere? Will he stay part of the setup? I'm going to broaden that question, really. Do you expect the coaching staff to remain intact or do you think it'll all be disbanded now? I think it'll probably be disbanded to a large extent. I think certain people will will be fine. You know, when you look at the head of fitness, um, head of conditioning, the uh, Darren Burgess, the... Mm. Um, What's his What's his name? The American dude, Shad, Shad, Shad. the Shadster, Shadorama, um, Shad Forsyth. You know, I think those kind of people, medical staff, perhaps will will stay um, unless a new manager has got a, a a specific desire to make changes in that regard, or has people that he likes to uh, to work with. Uh, they could come in, uh, but I think all the coaching staff. Their contracts are tied to Arsene Wenger's contracts. So when he mm. signed a new two-year deal, all of the coaching staff signed a new two-year deal. In cutting short Arsene Wenger's uh, contract or his decision to leave, I think the vast majority of those people will will go. And that includes Steve Bold. We had a question about Jens Lehmann uh, in this as well from uh, Toby, who's at Toby W underscore W who says with Jens Lehmann being quite a new addition and maybe not too close to the Wenger regime, can we envisage him with a role in the immediate future? I think, unfortunately for Jens, he is tied to Arsene Wenger. So unless uh, the new manager, whoever he is, the new head coach, uh, decides that Jens Lehmann is of some use to him, then I think he could well be on the outs because new coaches bring their own staff with them. They bring their own staff and that's normal. And I think that's what will happen. As for what Steve Bold will do, I don't quite know whether he'll go and manage somewhere else. There was talk of him being appointed manager of Stoke, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. he's been linked with that job a couple of times. So, so. maybe, maybe because Stoke is his former club, maybe if uh, Stoke get relegated, please get relegated, Stoke, if you wouldn't mind, uh, you know, he could get the job there. Maybe. How would you feel about that, though? Would that Why not? Be, uh, I got no problem. Him? No, no, no. Not really. Uh, you know, Steve Bold is perfectly entitled to take a job. Um, Steve Bold going to Stoke makes them a bit less cunty, not their fans. Uh, but I'd like to, I'd like to see Steve Bold go somewhere and do well. Why not? Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, I don't know if that is his ambition, if he wants to be a manager or not. Um, but you know, if, good luck to him. I think Jens Lehmann might have a chance of sticking around. Mm. Obviously, it depends who comes in. It'll be the decision of the new manager. But I think if any member of the coaching staff is gonna is gonna outlast us and continue beyond him, it, it might be Jens, just because he did arrive relatively late. Mm. And while I think it was an Arsene Wenger appointment, I think it was kind of the instigation of the board that someone be added to the coaching team. So yeah. Yeah, we'll yeah. I think he's more of a first team analyst than a coach, you know. So maybe right. there is, maybe there is scope for him to uh, to uh, to stay on. Okay, I'm going to do a couple of quick ones just to finish off. Go on, then. First one is from uh, Gagan J. Who's that, Gagan J? Which of Wenger's touchline bust ups would you most like to have seen develop into a full on fight? Wenger versus Mourinho, Wenger versus Martignol, or Wenger versus Alan Pardew? Definitely Wenger versus Mourinho. Yeah. Just because I think, you know, he's got the reach. He's got the height. I, w- I would back him in that fight. Oh, absolutely. He'd destroy Mourinho. Destroy him. 
Mourinho's, yeah. you know, there's no way. Wenger's kind of sinewy and all stretchy and stuff, and he'd easily just choke him out if he wanted to. Big, long arms, big, long legs. He could, you know, just smother him like a like a boa constrictor. Arsene Wenger as a gigantic snake choking the life out of Jose Mourinho. I'd be well on for that. I'm not sure he would have uh, succeeded against Martin Yall. No. Yall was a big guy. He's a bit of a unit. I'm glad there is one more final confrontation with Mourinho as well. But before oh, Arsenal, I'm not. Before I'm not. Up. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not looking forward no. to to next Sunday at all. At all. Oh, really? No. For me, the result's out the window. I just want him to chin him on the sidelines, basically. Uh, I know. I know. I mean, look, me too. But just the reality of the situation is, we're going to play a a hugely weakened team because it's going to come between the two Atletico games. Mourinho, despite the fact he even managed to be uh, quite nice about Arsene Wenger at the weekend, will, you know this for a fact, want to stick the knife in and twist that knife. And if he can hand out a good beating to Arsenal uh, and Wenger, you know, and he'll do that thing, won't he, where like a few minutes before the end, he'll walk off or go down the tunnel or something because he's a massive prick. Um... (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, I'm not looking forward to that one at all. But, uh, you know, if it does spark that fight, all well and good. Okay, final uh, question. Go on, go you on. got one more? Or you no, I was going to say, I Arsene? fully expect to lose the game, but I, I hope Arsene Wenger will win the fight that ensues. Yeah, okay. Uh, Parju, no point even mentioning Parju. He, he would be a dirty fighter. He'd, he'd be an eye-gouger, Parju, wouldn't he? Yeah, definitely. Scratcher, biter. Wouldn't fight him. Yeah, no thanks. No thanks. Okay, so the final question today comes from um, bum, 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 George Bushel, who's at that guy, George B. That guy, mm. George B. Uh, he says, What is your all time favorite, not necessarily best, uh, Arsene Wenger XV? Arsene Wenger? What? Sorry, I didn't catch that. What's your best? What is your all-time favourite, not necessarily best, Arsene Wenger 11? Oh, 11. Oh, yeah. right. Um, I, well, said, I, said X, I said XV, which of course is uh, completely wrong. That's 15. Yeah, that's his rugby team. <laughs> um, okay, so... 4-4-2. Amy Lawrence did one at the weekend that's quite hard for me to dissent from, um, but I'll try and be original. In goal, not necessarily best, it said, didn't it? Favourite. Favourite. I think I would go Jens Lehmann then, actually. Right. Uh, Because I just liked him. He was a bit mad. Um, Right back, I think this is a very controversial choice, but I'm going to say Bakary Sanya, actually. Okay. Just because I thought he was sensational. I actually think he might have been the best right back we had um, under Wenger. Then I would go... So Campbell, uh, I think I have to say Sol Campbell, Tony Adams. I think that's what I've got to go with. Left back. It's my favourite, isn't it? It's not the best. Yeah, your favourite. I can't have Ashley Cole then. He's the best left back. The favourite. Oh, I'll go with Nacho. Okay. Yeah. Um, centre midfield, Patrick Vieira. It's 4-4-2, is it? Yeah. Well, I have to go Sesk then. Mm-hmm. I have to go Sesk. Honourable mention for Gilberto Silva. Really enjoyed him. Uh, Perez on one wing. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's my other winger? Burkamp and Omri up front. 
Yeah. And my other winger is probably Freddie, Freddie Umberg. Okay. How about you? Um, goalkeeper Chesney. Oh, uh, good shout. Yeah. Right back, uh, Lauren. Yeah. Um, this is favourite. All right. So, um, Senderos. Senderos at centre half. Yeah, of course. Of course. And uh, Colo Toure uh, at the height of his powers. Uh, okay. Uh, per Metzaka, I'm surprised he didn't make your. Oh, another. that's true, actually. Oh, but you've got to have Senderos in there. You've got to have Senderos. I understand that. Oh, I love you, Per, but I can't play Senderos and you together. I would love to see it, I'll be honest. <laughs> Just need a little bit more pace in there. So yeah, that's a Colo's, yeah. Colo's in there to, to do that job. Left oh, back, I can't believe I didn't have Colo. Love Colo. Yeah, left back Silvino. The wolf boy, yeah. The wolf boy. Um, Vieira and Fabregas in central mm. midfield. Uh, Perez on the left. I'm going to mm-hmm. go with uh, Thomas Rosicki on the right because I love Thomas Rosicki. Lovely choice, yeah. And then it is uh, Bergkamp and Henri. Bergkamp, Henri. I mean, if you're not having Bergkamp and Henri, you know, what's wrong with you? I, yeah. I can't imagine anyone's not having Bergkamp and Henri. Yeah. Uh, you know, honourable mentions for all kinds of people in there. Like when you're talking favourites, it's difficult not to get uh, righty in there, isn't it, as well? Oh, my word, yeah. Yeah, you know. So, um, so many, so many. I mean, uh, yeah, I was a big fan of David Seaman. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of players. Ray Parler, I loved. Had even had his hairstyle for about ten years. You did. So, yeah, sad. Very sad. To, sad to leave anyone out of that. Then he took it back. Yeah, he did. Shame. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, look, you know, there's some amazing teams and everyone can make their own and have a good laugh at ours. And, uh, you know, it is favourite, not best. Um, so so there you go. All right. Well, look, thank you as ever for listening. We are going to leave it there. We will be uh, here on Friday with a, uh, an Arscast touching on the uh, first leg of our uh, Europa League semi-final against Atletico Madrid, the biggest European game this club has faced since 2009 when we were in the Champions League semi-final against Manchester United. I think it's going to be an epic occasion. I hope the uh, stadium is full. I hope it's rocking. I hope everybody's uh, well up for this one because they should be. It's an exciting game. We'll touch on that on Friday. And as I said, we'll have a a bonus podcast during the week, a little preview of that game as well, looking at Atletico in a bit more detail. So uh, until then take it easy folks um that's it take it easy yeah take it easy guys bye